0: For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was, uh, uh, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother is righteous. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. So God, who generously and graciously and abundantly gives us beyond what we could ask or think. Meet us here today. Do a work in us that is clear it is of you. May the one who speaks decrease so that Jesus would increase. These things we pray in his name. Amen. Be seated. If you are in Christ there are three arenas, three categories that you and I ought to be constantly living in. The first one, what we are. The second one, what we shall be. The third one, what we should be. What we are, as we go back to the beginning of chapter 3 of John's letter, what we are, are God's children. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. The second thing, what we shall be is we will be conformed to the image of God in Christ Jesus on that day when we are resurrected. Verse 2, beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when, we, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And then what we should be on the basis of these things are people who live pure lives, verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, you'll remember when I preached on this text, I said that This idea of being purified, this is not something that we just sort of step up to the plate and go, all right, today I'm going to purify. How does that work? I don't know. Is there a shower? Is there? God is the one who is at work purifying. But there is also a sense in which as God's spirit is bringing things to light that we go, I should not be that way. We do something about it. Okay, and again, that's the, that's, the, that's the rhythm that we all should be in when we are hearing and encountering God's divine word. It is, what is God saying? How, how am I undone as I see before the presence of a holy God who I am and what I have done? How am I remade because of what God has done for me in Jesus? And then how do I walk forward in newness of life and reliance on the Spirit to walk in obedience? This is the waltz of the gospel. This is how we encounter God and respond to him. And if you're missing any one of those three things, repent and believe and obey, you're missing a vital component of life in God. Right at the end of that first section of chapter 3, Uh, in verse 10, John says this. He says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. All over John's letter, this question of how do we know Knowledge is a huge thing. The, the, the verb and the, and, the, and the various forms of to know run all the way through John's letter. In fact, um, he's going to tell us in chapter 5 why he wrote this letter. In chapter 5, verse 13, he's going to say, I write these things. So I've written everything. I've done all this. I've said all this under the inspiration of the Spirit. I've written all these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. This is John's pastoral heart. He's trying to illumine our hearts through the words the Spirit has given him that we may know. He's applying tests. He's applying things to shake us. As one old preacher would say, um, as we come into the pulpit, we are to uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted, not by our words, but by God's word, you see. God wants to redemptively mess with you because he loves you. And he is day by day conforming you into the image of the son whom he loves because he loves you. So John is giving a test the love test. We've seen it before. We'll see it again. It's another way that we're getting at this idea of how do we know that we believe in the Son of God. We know that we believe in the Son of God by how we love. And so this first section of our text this morning is we know that we love because we demonstrate Christ-like love for believers, for other Christians. So beginning in verse 11, John is using an incredibly familiar story. He's using the story of Cain and Abel to begin talking about love. Because he, in order to understand what love is, we have to understand what the antithesis of love is. We have to understand what hate is. And so drawing to mind, it's so familiar, he doesn't even load in the details. He doesn't retell the story, he just mentions it. In Genesis, Cain and Abel both present an offering to the Lord. And the Lord found Abel's offering acceptable and Cain's not. In Cain's anger, he killed his brother. What was the cause of his murder, John asks? It wasn't because Abel was wicked. It was the reverse. Because his own actions were evil and his brother's actions were righteous. Jealousy lay behind his hatred. Not the jealousy which covets another's greater, another's greater gifts, but the type of jealousy that resents another person's greater Righteousness. The word here for murder carries with it this idea of to butcher or to sacrifice. Later in the Gospels, we would hear about this type of jealousy, this type of envy, this type of hatred that would arise once again. But this time, it would be at the hands of the high priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees who, did, who, who looked at the righteousness of Jesus and hated it. And so they murdered him. What John's addressing here is, is a hatred, a jealousy, an envy, That arises in Christians towards their brother or their sister. And though we may not take up weapons or arms in order to murder. The intention of our heart still has the same in mind. Cut them down so that I feel better. Slay them so I look better. It's this um, sneering at the blessing that God is showing through his grace to other Christians that John says we ought to call and question the reality of our own faith. If you feel this way towards other Christians, John says, you may have a bigger problem than just being an unkind person to be around for john there is no there is no gray area you see there is no gray area where we give ourselves a pass it's either you are practicing love in righteousness because you've been born of him or you're not John says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Verse 13, don't be surprised when the world hates you too. The righteousness that is of God, the righteousness of God that is at work in us because of what Jesus has done, is doing, and yet will still do, is also hated by the world. And I know we've said this before, but it bears repeating. Be persecuted because you are living righteously and graciously. Don't act like an unkind person or an unhelpful person to be around and then go, see, everybody persecutes me. They're not persecuting you for Jesus' sake. They're persecuting you because you're not a nice person to be around. Stop that. Whoever hates his brother. And I said this back at the beginning of the letter, but I'll say it again. We hear the word hate and presume... That what John meant is the extremist form of the word possible, right? So we hear hate and we read into it. Ah, he means extreme forms of hate. I don't do that. I show indifference to people, but that's not hate. Again, remember, with John, no gray area, black and white. You're either loving or you're hating. Do you think that John had an entire church full of people that were practicing hate to its most extreme form possible? No, he had a church filled with people like you and I, who are, at the end of the day, people who are self-absorbed, self-interested, and self-promoting. And the gospel, by God's grace, is transforming us to the way that we were created to be, which is in right relationship with God, in right relationship with other people, where we are saying, you first, not me first. My life for yours, not your life for mine. When we say, your life for mine, John would say, why do you hate your brother? Why do you hate? We can say that we like people, but if our actions don't step up and mirror what our words say, John would say, we are actually empty of biblical love. In his commentary on First John, G.P. Lewis says this. He says, it's easier... To be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. Loving everybody in general may just be a cover for loving nobody in particular. Because you see, love is commitment. Love is commitment to real flesh and blood people. Love is action to real flesh and blood people. And not just the ones that are good to be around and funny to be around and convenient to be around, but the ones that take your time and the ones that cause you a heartache and the ones that cause you to lose sleep at night and the ones that you go, oh my gosh, it's their number on my caller ID. Someone break my phone. That's what God is calling us to do. Not say I love everybody, but love specific people. That's what he's calling us to. And he shows us why. By this, by what? By this we know love. That he, Jesus, laid down his life for ours. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brother's. Love is commitment, it is action, it is self-sacrificial, it is towards others in tangible ways. John Stott says, hate is negative and seeks the other's harm and leads us to actively uh, act against them, even to the point of murder. Love is positive, it seeks the other person's good, it leads us um, to activity for them, even to the point of self-sacrifice. See, here's the thing that John's getting at. Why do we struggle to love individual people well? Because, friends, love causes pain. Love is incredibly inconvenient, love is incredibly costly. Love can be a killer of joy. So what do we do? We do with that what we do with anything else that's inconvenient, robs us of our time, robs us of our happiness, maybe a buzzkill to our day. We avoid it. What a vicious, vicious cycle this creates because we're designed for community. But when everyone is afraid that they may actually be depleted because what God is calling us to do, everyone closes in. Because love is work and we are oftentimes finding ourselves as exhausted, depleted, barely hanging on ourselves people, we rarely pay attention to the subtle or not so subtle signs that a brother or a sister may be in need. I mean, if we're being real about it, beloved, we're lazy, I'm someone, I I put this on Jen's Facebook on Valentine's Day. I'm someone that likes to do lots of things trapped inside a body who likes to sleep a lot. I don't want to inconvenience myself. I don't want to sacrifice. And that is where I go, Lord Jesus. What have I done? Because instead of doing the hard work of loving people well, instead of doing the hard work of pursuing the people that take my time and take my energy and take my resources, I self-protect. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. Some of you may do that too. But if love is my life for yours, our possession, the reason that we have, look, the reason that we have spiritual gifts is to what? To build up the body. The reason that God has given us resources is to what? To build up the body. The reason that God has given us time is not so that we can empty our network, our Netflix queue, but to what? To build up the body. This is what we are here to do. God has called us to lay down our lives for the sake of the body. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for us. This is so much more. This is so much more than just um, world peace and harmony. This is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the building up of the visible manifestation of the kingdom of God so that the foretaste of what's coming on that great day would be experienced here and now. People would get a glimpse of what life in the kingdom of God is like. I got to keep moving. We'll talk more about that later. All of it means that we're opening ourselves. Why? To the thankless act of loving people, unlovely people. Okay, one more thing. I said I was moving on, but I'm not. When the Bible talks about bear one another's burden, That doesn't mean, oh, I have no burden today. Thankfully, mine's out in the shop getting getting fixed, so I've got some free time to take your burden on. No, 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 no. When the Bible talks about bear one another's burden, it presumes that you're already overloaded. It presumes that you're already stressed. You're already exhausted. Did you ever think it was up to your resources to bear one another's burden? No. When it comes to bearing one another's burden, it is presuming that I've already got nothing and that I need everything from Jesus. Stop making the excuse that you've got so much on your plate. Of course you do. This isn't a matter of you've got the resources that you can tangibly put your finger on. It's that you're desperate and needy and dependent and you need God to meet you and your weakness just like your brother or your sister needs you to meet them and their weakness. Okay, now I gotta keep going. Let me just ask you this. Can you admit right now, I don't, don't say it out loud, you don't have to write it down, but do you know a couple people, specific people individually in your mind, that the Lord may bring to, your, uh, bring to the forefront of your mind that you know you just struggle loving them well. You've avoided them. You're not praying for them. You're not seeking ways to serve them. Do you recognize that this is a problem? Not just, ooh, wow, yeah. The optional add-on package to the Christian life. Like this is a, this is a real thing. This is a real problem. why are these people hard to love? What excuses have you given yourselves to not love people well? Is it time? Is it exhaustion? Is it lack of care? What are we gonna do about it? And that's where we we keep going. Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or deed, or sorry, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Look, John has said hard things to make us take hard looks at ourselves. How do I know? How do I know what's going on? Who ought I to be? Who should I be? Where am I right now? I'm a child of God because you have the smile of heaven. That part is covered. You are a son, a daughter of the most high king if you are in Jesus. You will one day be raised with him. Between this day and that day, who should I be? By the power of God's Spirit. There are some of you that have a tender conscience and right now are feeling the weight of it. John's getting ready to talk to you. There are some of you that need to hear this word because you need to have your world shook. John's talking to you too, but it's a different way. Look, there's things that he says in in verse 19 and 20. He says, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. So this is where the issue of conscience comes in. We've been given a conscience. We've been given an internal uh, compass that points us in the right direction. Before you were in Jesus, your compass was straight up broken. It didn't know which end was up. It just pointed inward all the time. Okay, Now that you're in Jesus, the compass is being remade, but sometimes it still gets askew. It still gets off. We might know that we're forgiven, but we not, might not feel like we're forgiven. This, this disconnect comes because we see all of our failures. We see all of our faltering attempts. We see all of our imperfections. And so this is where this verse comes in and speaks to us. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart for he knows everything. This is, this is the branch where you stake everything. This is the load-bearing wall for your life. This is where God comes in and says he is for you. Because whenever our heart condemns us, whenever it shouts or screams or whispers, you are not enough. You didn't do enough. You're a failure to yourself and an embarrassment to everyone around you. God's grace in the gospel performs CPR. You were never enough. You have never done enough. You never will do enough. Your hope is not in what you do. Your hope is in what Jesus has done. It doesn't mean you stop trying, but it means you start resting in Jesus. When our hearts are weighed down with guilt, here John reassures us that our God, the one true God himself, the king of heaven and earth, has taken it upon himself to ease our burden. When we agonize over our lack of love, the place to turn is not farther inward, but outward and upward towards God. If our hearts are troubled, we must recall the truth of the gospel. God is light and God is love. In his light, God cannot stand to look upon sin and in his love, he has sent Jesus to stand in our place. John already said in chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There are a lot of places in the Bible where um, God being the discerner of the thoughts and the intentions and the attitudes of our heart are given in order to call us to repentance. But here, here, God knowing everything is a sign of great comfort. God is not blind to our unloving actions. God is not blind. He knows every part of our hearts. He sees every loveless, heartless, selfish thing that we've ever done. He sees it all, all of it, any of it, warranted our internal condemnation. But God has still seen all of that, known all of that, and laid all of that on Jesus. Your hearts cannot condemn you because in Christ there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus your heart may scream, I'm not enough. And the gospel screams, you're right, but Jesus is, and now he's yours. Our consciences can falsely accuse us. That's why we don't look to how we feel, but what Christ has done. Sometimes our consciences, though, can rightly accuse us. Say, you know what? I hate to say it, But the loud one up front may be right. He may have something there. What are we going to do about it? Because this is the thing. According to Hebrews 9, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Not only has your conscience been cleansed, your conscience has now been empowered by the spirit to serve the living God. And so John says there's going to be external fruit. Look at verses 21 through 24. Because John now turns from the curse of a self-condemning heart. To the blessings of a heart freed from condemnation. There's a blessing that is not just of good feelings, but of unrestricted communion with God. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. If you've ever had a fight before in a relationship, whether it's with one of your kids or your parents or your spouse or a coworker or anything else, whenever there is uncertainty in the relationship, how does your communication generally go? Speaking from personal experience, it does not go well. But when our hearts are free from condemnation, it's then that our communication lines open wide. It's then that we enjoy the feeling of full access because there's no wondering if there's any sort of misappropriated guilt that we should be dealing with. When our hearts are freed from condemnation. We're freed to pray, freed to receive answers from God as well. The obedience of faith opens God's ears. The obedience of faith opens God's ears. Doesn't mean you earn it, it means that you're walking in God's will. What you're praying is according to God's will, what you're longing for is what Jesus longs for. Of course, God hears those prayers. Of course, God lavishly and abundantly answers those prayers. Whatever you pray in my name, Jesus said. When we trust in God's Son and love like his Son, God blesses these things. Verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of, the son, of, of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. This verse calls for several things, friends. It calls for us both to receive the gift of God in Jesus by grace through faith and then reciprocate it in action. If either component is missing, what you have is not Christianity. A life of good deeds is not a Christian life if you have not put your trust in Jesus. Neither are you a Christian if you profess belief in Jesus without a corresponding life of fruit bearing testimony to Jesus. You must have both. And God in his grace provides those to those who long and seek for it. Friends, loving is hard work. It comes at great cost. But this is who God has called us to be. The antithesis to a world turned in on itself. To a people who have received grace and show it. Receive love and reciprocate it whose hope and longing is not what others can do for us, but what one has done for us. Is your conscience screaming? Bring it to Jesus. If there's things that need to be changed, ask him to help you change it. If your conscience accuses you, bring it to Jesus. God knows everything and still gave Jesus for you anyway. Praise him.